Welcome to Encounter Church. As Chris said, um, we are glad that each and every single one of you are here. My name is Jason, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, really excited to continue the series called uh, White Noise this, this morning. If this is your first time, really glad that you're here. As you may well know, this is a brand new space that all of us are very excited about. Week number two, I think we're forming a habit after today, right? Actually, research shows you have to do something like 21 straight times. It's not like Stephen Covey's um, things of doing something 21 straight days, and then you can form a habit, but it takes a lifetime to break one. Isn't that too bad? That's another topic for another day, right? So in 21 weeks, we will say we formed a habit, right? Um, life is full of noise, isn't it? And I, I don't know about you, but it just gets a little old sometimes, right? It, there's constant motion. There's constant noise. And sometimes we just want a break. You that work away from home and you call home and sometimes you speak to your spouse, you may hear a little bit of noise in the background. And there may be a little, a little bit of challenge when, when uh, your spouse says to you, can I call you back? And they'll call back until the end of the day, right? That never happens in my home. It's just because there's constant noise, there's constant responsibility, right? So whether you're at home or whether you're at work, that's always the case. My, my sweet wife, of course, especially during the summer when the boys are home, she is a mother to two wild and fun and crazy boys, and she is a nanny during the day of now three little girls. Go figure. And we have a nine-month-old golden retriever, and she likes to make some noise. She's a true golden retriever and as sweet as she can be, but she jumps to the moon and back, especially when she just gets really excited. So there's constant noise, and even sometimes Rachel says, I just want a day where I can just be quiet. And you can hear all the noise, right? Anybody say that, right? There's constant noise all the time, and we just want to break. Sometimes the noise is not good, and sometimes the noise is, is just neutral. It's just there because, because life is busy and because life is crazy. But sometimes we want to drown it out, don't we? Now, how do we drown out the noise? There's a lot of different ways we can drown out the noise, and sometimes there are good ways to do that by just taking a break. And some of you have already done that this summer. Some of you are looking forward to doing that this summer. If you have not done that or don't have that in the plans, I don't understand why. You need to take a break, right? Um, there's some incredible research out there by which I don't have numbers and data that you can look up. But you know, there are a ton of Americans that don't use their vacation time. And I don't, I don't know, that is not me. If that's you, like, yeah, yeah, I get so busy. I didn't even take all my vacation time. I'm like, you are crazy. You are crazy, right? I got plenty of problems, but I do not have a problem taking a vacation. But I, I get it. Sometimes I hear people's stories, and, 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 and they talk about how busy they are and how demanding their schedules are. And I've heard legit reasons, even though I don't want to say that that will ever be me, I've heard legit reasons why it's harder for some to take a break than it is for them to just keep working. Because the demands are so high. Life is constant, life is fast, and life is full of noise, and sometimes we just want a break. But sometimes the break isn't sitting by the coast and hearing the ocean roll in, or sitting by a mountain creek and just relaxing, or turning the phone on airplane mode and just breathing, and just finishing a book that you started, sadly, eight months ago. Sometimes the noise isn't that. Sometimes the filling the, the noise or crowding out the noise is not good. The way that we want to escape is not always going to the beach or sitting by a creek or turning the phone on airplane mode. Sometimes we fill the noise in bad ways and 
with bad habits. But one of the things that we find because of the noise that's in our life and because of the pace of life that we have, we actually find that there are some bad things that come out. And one of the things that comes out is loneliness. Some of us don't slow down enough, but when we do, we figure out that we have a problem. And I don't know what your journey is and where you are right now, but I, I would bet to say that almost everyone in this room can connect with the word loneliness. What does it feel like to be lonely? And loneliness comes out of sometimes, ironically, of being so fast-paced all the time that we actually lose connection. And over time, so many of us could say this, even today, some, some of you can look back in your life and some of you it's coming, right? We just feel lonely. And loneliness is an incredible struggle. I think that we're in, a, we're in an age of loneliness in an age of isolation. Ironically, even though the world is what we would say uh, globalization, and in the age of globalization, in the age of social media, and in the age of our use of technology, we would say that connections are at an all-time high. Wouldn't you agree? The ability to connect, the ability to develop a relationship with someone that lives across the street from you, much less someone that lives on the other side of the country or in another country. The ability to connect at a deep level is at an all-time high. Why? Because of the ability to connect through technology. And I'm not saying that you can have a deep you know, relationship through social media. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the potential to connect is high. But ironically, when you look at depression rates and you look at even suicide rates, and you look at the things that people are going through today, we live in a lonely world. Even though the opportunities for the opposite of that is higher than ever, we live in a lonely world. And I want to say three things that contribute to this problem. So let's look uh, right here at three uh, contributors to our loneliness problem. The first one is this, pace of life. Is there anyone in here that would say, I wish that I had more to do? Anyone? Our pace is so fast, it actually contributes to our loneliness problem. Our pace is at an all-time high, right? And even some of you struggle being present in Sunday because you're thinking about what? You're thinking about Monday. And you struggle to get things done on Monday because you're overwhelmed. Well, that has to be done Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The pace of life is crazy. Number two is personal anxiety. Um, if you've not heard the message last week, we hope that you have an opportunity to listen to that very soon in the near future. The first message in this series was really about dealing with anxiety. And it was a great, powerful message from Chris. But the personal anxiety that you face today does not pave the way towards deep, intimate relationships with other people. The anxiety that you face makes us all, not just you, not just me, but it makes everyone tend to go inward. Because you have so much that's overwhelming you. Even your friends don't understand. You try to explain it to your parents. You try to explain it to a trusted friend. If you try to explain it to a spouse, sometimes you're like, huh, sounds tough. And they don't have anything to offer, right? It's just something that you're dealing with. And sometimes I hear Rachel, and same thing, Rachel hears me, my wife, and she doesn't understand why that would overwhelm me. And sometimes I honestly would listen to her and go, huh, interesting. I don't understand all the things that she deals with. But personal anxiety paves the way towards loneliness. The third thing is life expectations. 
the expectations that are placed on you, either verbally or non-verbally, some purposefully, some not, are high, aren't they? The expectations that we have in the home are hard, whether you're the child or whether you're the parent. The expectations are high. The expectations at work, the expectations in school, this does not pave the way towards intimate relationships where we are understood, but paves the way towards our loneliness. Even thinking about life expectations, I love when I have the opportunity to do premarital counseling. There's a section in this book that I walked through called Preparing for Marriage God's Way. It's a pretty, pretty extensive um, book that people walk through, and it's more than 100 pages, and it's really a workbook with questions and, and um, exercises that you go through. You get together and talk as a couple. When you get to the, the section on expectations, most, I would say 9 out of 10, a vast majority of the couples walking through expectations, they struggle to identify. And that for the most part, these young couples will say, I don't really have any expectations, you know? And all of you that are married are like, yeah, you do. You don't even know. <laughs> most, most of the time, they are, they're nonverbal. And let me tell you, what happens when the stress rises, expectations come out. Some you don't, you're not even aware of. I can honestly say, Rachel and I just celebrated our 12th anniversary. I have not been, oh, thank you, all right. Um, yeah, it's been a great, a great 12 years, right? We have no expectations of one another. <laughs> whatever she says goes, and whatever I say goes. It's just one of this, um, uh, yeah, not, not the case, right? But I, I was one of those guys who said, when we were going through this, I, don't, I really can't identify any expectations I have of my wife. Like, I love her, she loves me, all things are well, Right? One of, well, one of the examples, what happens when I'm stressed is what happens when I come home and what's not done. I can honestly tell you in 12 years of us being married, I have never been one to expect dinner or to expect a certain type of dinner. Today, if she says, what do you want to eat? I don't care. Don't put olives in it and I'll eat it. I, I really will. Some of you are like, well, I'm going to test you. You know, <laughs> Come over to my house. I'm going to feed you something crazy and exotic. I'm really pretty laid back. I'm pretty easy to please. I don't have expectations of meals. For the most part, when I come home and there's like no meal ready or nothing ready, I'm not the one to complain. All right? I got other issues. I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm some easy to please husband, but that's just not the case for me. If, the, if I come home and like I have no clean clothes, I, I can just typically just put a load in, right? But when I'm stressed, not so. There are moments you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I, when I come home, I'm like, so what's for dinner? And she hears the tone and she's ready to throw a punch, you know? <laughs> she's like, I got five kids and a dog I'm taking care of, a sandwich. <laughs> she doesn't really say that. Rachel, are you in here? Okay, good. Where is she? It's true, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not stressed today. Honey, what's for dinner? I'm sorry, I'm just kidding, right? Sometimes there's a crock pot. But, but see, these expectations, life expectations are hard to deal with. Sometimes they're, you know they're, they're there and they're difficult to deal with. Sometimes you don't know that they're there. But having expectations placed over you makes things stressful and it drives us inward. It does not allow for a healthy marriage for one person to expect a meal every day at 530. Because the moment it doesn't happen, what happens to that relationship? Further and further apart. But expectations do that to all of us. Some of you can clearly verbalize the expectations you have that are reasonable, and some of you can clearly verbalize expectations that you can verbalize that are not reasonable. But nevertheless, they are there, and life expectations pull us apart. But three things that this happens. Let me go back to number one, pace of life. 
What happens to us when our pace of life is so fast? It leads to our tunnel vision. When the pace of life is so fast, you are so absolutely tunnel vision focused on you and what you have to do that you don't see anyone else. You don't experience anyone else, right? And we're so guilty of that. We, we can't slow down. Even on a Sunday morning, I'm guilty of this as a pastor. I'm focused on, example, I'm focused on the message. Do you think I've been thinking about this this week? Yeah. I'm focused on this. I'm not really as concerned about having this great conversation with you because I couldn't find a stand right? I'm just, I'm focused. And I, that's really a true story. I couldn't, I couldn't identify a stand. I'm like, where are the music stands? Like, oh yeah, they're in the trailer. That really happened this morning. And I'm so focused on having something to place my notes on. I don't notice you. We are all guilty of that. And it's not that that's always a bad thing. It's just the way life is. You're so focused on you. You're so focused on what you have to do. We don't see anyone else. It's a good cultural experience to be in a tight spot with people, right? And it happens when you hop on a train. How many of you ride the Commuter train on a regular basis. Yeah, there's a few of you. Is there a great conversation that happens on there? There's really not. Now, there are some extroverted people like me in the world, and there are some introverted people, and that's okay too, right? You walk on there, and everyone's kind of in their own, their own world. They're focused on what they're doing. They're either reading a book, and that's not, this isn't a bad thing, okay? I'm just describing the way we are, our culture. They're reading a book. They're listening to music. They're focused. And someone like me, I step on the train, I'm like, Will someone talk to me? You know, I'm just like, hey, one morning I literally sat down on the train. He wasn't listening to music. This gentleman, I looked at him, I said, I said, good morning. He goes, I guess maybe he heard a little bit of my accent, I guess. He said, you're nice. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm like, no, people are, people are nice. Like, but people just don't talk to people like that, right? And so because it was the train. Now, if it's different, if you're in a supermarket, I would have never heard that. This is part of culture. Right? If I'm in an outdoor market, a farmer's market, I'd say, hey, good morning. Someone says, good morning. And they don't say, where are you from? Why are you talking to me? Right? But we, we have this tunnel focus, this vision of what we are doing that we block out. Right? We block out. Elevators are like that too. Now, that's a little bit weird because elevators are strange places. I'm that guy that likes to talk on elevators. Right? <laughs> now, it gets a little bit awkward for people that are with me sometimes. I eat my wife. Right? And so people like look down and I like to sing, hum, talk to people, clap hands, something. I'm like, someone talk to me, you know? And others of you are like, please don't talk to me, right? And so um, actually this was kind of awkward, but a few months ago I was listening to the Bible on my app. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll just hit play and listen to the Bible being read. And sometimes that's just the way I'll listen to scripture instead of like reading it for myself. I just listen to it be read to me. And I don't know how this happened, um, but like there's this James Earl Jones type voice that reads the Bible out. It sounds holier, right? If it were me, it wouldn't sound holy, but it's like James Earl Jones. Anything he says sounds holy. And I, even if I weren't listening, I could be like, man, that's good, right? <laughs> it's true. His voice is incredible. Or Morgan Freeman. There's a few others that just have great voices. Um, and so I literally enter, go in the elevator and my phone's right here. And I guess my chest hit it. And I hear First John being read, my dear sons, if any of you is caught in sin, he should. And then this really happened. And all these people are like, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, that's not God. That's just my phone. <laughs> it's true. I mean, this, this happened. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I don't typically get embarrassed. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, my phone is calling everyone sin out, right? <laughs> and this really happened. And so I'm sorry about that. There was a... <laughs> 
There, I, th- I think he was a Christian, but there was a guy in the other verse that I thought, that's pretty funny. And he goes, by the way, I know that verse. So I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> but we all get into tunnel vision. What about personal anxiety? The personal anxiety that we face leads to depression. Because the truth is, no one understands what you're going through. No one does. You can sit down with a counselor, and they can be a really good counselor. You can sit down with a therapist. You can sit down with a pastor, and someone hear you. And sometimes you go, no matter what I say, I don't feel like someone understands. Right? And so the anxieties that you deal with and that you do not face don't open your heart and don't open your life. They actually close you. And you actually become more inward. And that hurts us. I'm not saying that someone can't understand because there are people that have gone through exactly what you're going through that can truly relate. And every now and then I hear someone, I'm like, yep, I've walked through that. I can say a word to you. I can encourage you. I can tell you my story. I can tell you what I've gone through. So I know that there are people that do understand, but for the most part, the anxieties that you face that you don't open up to about because there's a huge wall in front of us because there are huge challenges because you really feel like you don't know what to do with the anxiety that you face. And the easiest thing to believe is that no one understands. But the third one, the life expectations, this leads to us being self-consumed. You're so focused, and I am too, on what I need to do, the expectations that are placed on me. I want to do a good job being a pastor. I want to do a good job with Encounter Church. And if I'm so consumed with that, there are many other things that will suffer, right? I want to do a good job being a good husband. I want to do a good job being a good father. But we're so focused on the expectations that are placed on us sometimes at work and sometimes inside the home, sometimes in other places, that we are so consumed with ourselves that it does not pave the way towards good relationships, but actually ones that hurt. What do we do with this loneliness? What do we do with the isolation? I think I could summarize it in two things. Here's what I would summarize it by saying. There's two attempts that mask our loneliness. And these things are in the app, by the way. If you have not downloaded encounterchurch.com forward slash app, download the app, hit sermon notes. This is, these things are in here. There's two attempts to mask our loneliness. Number one, a false front, right? We act like it's not there. Now, two things you can do with this. You can actually convince yourself that it's not there, well, it's normal. This is just a part of life. And you, you know, slide it away, scoot it on the rug, but we, we just act like it's not there. But the other thing is we know it's there and no one can understand. So you just don't talk about it. And we just act like we're fine when we're not. And that's, I, I think it's so easy for each and every single one of us to just put up a false front. Everyone seems to be smiling on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying that's not genuine, right? That can be very genuine. And everyone seems to be smiling on on Sunday morning. On Monday morning, you go into work. Everyone seems to be fine, right? Tuesday, everyone seems to be fine. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. Okay, all right. The truth is, all of us have an incredible amount of stress and anxiety. And some of us that say hello to people, we speak to people on the train, even though that's weird. We speak to people in the elevator. We smile. We seem happy. But we're alone inside. We don't know what to do with it. So the natural thing is just act like it's not there and to put up a false front. The second thing we do is we replace it with bad habits. I wish there were just another series and enough of this with just bad habits. If you're hurting, you know what you do? You'll do whatever you have to do to overcome it. 
And that's not always healthy. What we do to overcome our loneliness is often very dangerous to our health. And we could go in a lot of different directions in this. Number one, the false front, right? Just acting like it's not there. But you, you could look at drug abuse. You could look at alcohol abuse. You could look at um, um, other addictions of online addictions, pornography addictions. There are so many things that we do to make ourselves feel better. And I would say this as a blanket statement. Anything that you do to make yourself feel better can can be, not always is, but it can be very dangerous. And loneliness is one that paves the way towards a tremendous amount of life habits and life-altering habits that really hurt us. But that's what we do. We put up a false front, and we often will have bad habits over the loneliness. But here's, a, here's this. The truth is there are many of you that do feel isolated. You live in isolation, and you do experience deep, deep loneliness. So what do you do about it? I want to share this morning two verses of Scripture, and this is, answers the question, what does God say about this? The most meaningful part of even what I communicate to you today are, are promises from God's Word that say something about our hearts and our struggle. I love it. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed when I, when I read the Scripture or listen to it, especially when it's James Earl Jones' voice, Right? I'm just overwhelmed by the truth and by the promise. And the verse um, that I heard recently, one of the verses of the day a few weeks ago, as it comes up as a notification, was just remember the promises, don't forget. Because you know what happens when you do forget. Don't forget the promises of God. And this verse here is an incredible promise of what God says about this struggle. So look in your Bible, or you can open the app, or it will also be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. An incredible chapter, by the way. If you want a good, clean, uh, kind of something to respond and act on, something today, just read Psalm 41. The entire chapter is an incredible encouragement to God's people. An incredible encouragement because of what they were going through. There were enemies after them, people after their lives, people after to kill them, and God's reminding them of a, of a promise. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13 says this, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. This is spoken to a people who feared for their life. This is spoken to a people who thought at times that God had forgotten about them. This is spoken to a people who were isolated Everyone around them, even some of these people cried out to God saying, God, why? And King David said the same thing. God, why does it seem that the righteous people perish and that the wicked seem to prosper? There are even sections of scripture and God's people crying back out to God saying, well, hey, hey, God, we're doing what you told us to do. And it seems like we're all alone and you have forgotten about us. And I love this imagery. I, the Lord, your God, it is I who hold your right hand. When you're hurting, I'm not going to do this. I thought about doing this. Rachel's back down the back. I won't walk all the way to the back. But when you're hurting, there's nothing like someone coming up to you and just grabbing your hand. It's powerful, isn't it? There's nothing like human touch. There's nothing like it. And especially, not that I encourage this. This is not action step number two today, okay? <laughs> you see someone sad, and you're like, hey, you might get a punch or something, um, especially on the uh, commuter rail, right? Hey, you, you struggling? 
<laughs> just grab their hand. No, no, no. But just it's powerful. When you know someone, you know someone's hurting, you grab, you just grab their hand. And you just remind them that they're loved and that they're cared for. There's nothing like human touch. Imagine God saying to you, right? Not just saying to you, this is what he's saying to the people, to the Israelites during their time of struggle, but imagine God actually doing it, grabbing your hand, holding it tight, saying, I am with you. I've not forgotten about you. I'm with you. Last night, um, as I prayed with the boys, I said, boys, I want you to pray for, pray for dad. Dad's talking about um, loneliness tomorrow. And I couldn't get another word out. My five and my eight-year-old very much know what it feels like to be lonely. Immediately, my son said, you know, daddy, when I'm at school, sometimes when I play in the playground, I'm just playing by myself. And Levi's like, yeah, at school, sometimes all the kids think my face is ugly. <laughs> you know, I know that's sad. It's okay to laugh. Like, I shouldn't laugh. But this is a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, right? And they know what it feels like because life's hard. Like, life's not just hard for adults, right? Life's hard for kids, right? It doesn't take, all of us know, and some of you could even tell stories of your childhood of just feeling isolated. I remember my brother going through a really tough time in high school, and I thought he was popular, he was athletic, and I wasn't Jason, I was Gene's little brother. You know, like my brother, he shouldn't feel this way. It doesn't matter if you're popular and you have thousands of Facebook friends. You still feel like few people know you, right? And I looked at Levi last night, I said, Levi, I said, listen, kids say very hurtful things, but you're a very handsome boy. You're a very good looking. I know your dad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was so wrong. Can you edit that out this week? Thank you. Um, no, I did say I didn't say that to him. I said, Levi, you are a handsome boy. He was like, I said, buddy, listen, I know daddy was made fun of too when he was a little kid. I know what it feels like to feel all alone. I do. But you are a handsome boy. And if someone ever tells you different, let me know. I'll punch him. I didn't say that. But you feel like that, don't you? And like five-year-old, and he feels like he's got an ugly face. That's just sad. And, my, and, and Josiah, he, of course, is much more verbal going into third grade. We talk all the time just about friends, how to be a good friend when you don't have a good friend, right? And it's, this is tough. It's been a very tough stretch even for him. So this isn't just for kids. This is for all of us. And so they prayed for me last night, right? Um, and they, they said, Dad, help Daddy to preach and help me to have friends. I mean, that was, just their, that was just their prayer. Like, life is tough for kids. Life is tough for adults because we just feel lonely. But imagine just clinging to this promise where God says, I am with you. Imagine God's presence just holding your hand. You know what you need when you feel all alone? When you feel like no one understands? is just to remember the promise that God is present. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Look at the next verse. Let me repeat Isaiah 41 at the end here. Fear not. I love that. Fear not. I am the one who helps you. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. I am the one who helps you. So I'm currently helping you, but I will also, as a promise, help you in the days ahead. And I'll just one encouragement before I read Psalm we need to remember this promise. You need to remember this promise when you have those low moments and you feel like no one understands. 
And I know though it may feel strange, imagine holding and just reaching out your hand saying, God, I know that you're with me. You're reminding yourself that his promise is true. And it's just like us, we do with other people, right? Even though sometimes you don't feel like you're loved by your parent, you know they love you. And I'm speaking to adults in the room, not just the teenagers, right? Your parents, sometimes, I mean, life is crazy. The older your parents get, the more crazy they are, right? And the same thing happened to them and their parents. And my kids are going to say the same thing about me. My dad's crazy, right? And, and but they, they love me. I know that they love me, but I forget that. Same thing is true of God. He loves you. We forget it. He's with us, but we forget it. Look at Psalm 68, another promise stated another way. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6 say this, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home and he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Uh, first imagery is just hand-holding, and that's a powerful hand-holding. But this one... It even gives another picture. Father to the fatherless. Do you know who feels alone? The kid that doesn't have any parents. That's who feels alone. They can't verbalize it. They don't know it until they mature, until they get older, until they realize that, oh, I don't, okay, yeah, single mom, where is my dad? Right? But kids know it. And imagine, you want to know who feels alone? It's the one who doesn't have a parent even though they may have a caretaker, right? Look at this, this, beautiful, this beautiful imagery that God gives to us. I am a father to the fatherless. And look at the next one. I'm a protector of widows. Not just a present in the widows, but I'm, a, I'm a, the protector of widows. If you've lost a spouse, you know very well how lonely you feel. It doesn't matter if it's in your 20s or 30s, and there's a tragic accident, you lose a spouse, or if you're in your 70s and 80s or 80s and you lose a spouse, you feel like you've lost someone because you have. And God says, I'm a protector of that person. And you can't be a protector unless you're present. He's a father to the fatherless, and he is a protector of widows. And the next one, God settles the solitary in a home. You know what this means? Those who feel like they are alone, he gives stability. That's what he does. This is a promise, not just a principle in Scripture. It is a promise that he gives a home to the one who does not have it. To the one who feels like a wanderer, he gives stability. And finally, the last one, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Those that feel bound, those that are captive, those that feel stricken with life, and we all can relate at one point or another, he gives freedom. But what's our access to this God? Because to some people listening to this, they would say, yeah, but I've never held God's hand. Right? Sounds good. I've never held God's hand. Sounds good, but I, I still struggle with life. Right? I've, I've prayed, but he still feels different. So I, I just want to give you a promise that Jesus is not far off. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is James chapter 4, verse 8. And this verse says that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It's kind of a relational thing, right? If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And that's a promise that if you pursue God, you'll find him. 
And I love the, the, the picture of knocking on the door and it will be opening that Jesus gives to us. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Those that pursue and run and find and look after God will indeed find him. He's not a God that's far off, but to many, he's very far off because there's no, there's no pursuit of him. And so what's your access to this God? Your access to this God that, we, that I've spoken of today is, is Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, he gave a promise. He not only gave the promise before he died that he would rise again from the dead, but his promise was to offer to all people everywhere forgiveness of sin and a relationship with him. And in Jesus, what he did when he rose from the dead, he offered the forgiveness of sin. And, and the scripture says that if anyone confesses their sin and asks for forgiveness, they can be forgiven and they can have a relationship with him. And so if anyone in this room today decides, you know what, I want a relationship with God. I want to know him. You can't. And he's one prayer away in this very moment. And even just a few moments when I pray, you can say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want a relationship with you. I want to be present. For others of you in this room that have already expressed a faith in Jesus, I mean, he's one prayer away. And in all of your loneliness and the isolation, all you have to do is call upon his name. It's all you have to do. Now, that sounds like, and then what? He fixes my finance problem? No, not necessarily. He fixes my marriage when I say his name? Nope, not necessarily. But his presence is there. He gives hope to the ones that do not have hope, right? And so three things I want to leave you with. Action steps, okay? I've written out a few from earlier today, but these, these last three things I want you to leave with. Number one, refuse to believe the lie. And here's the lie, that you're alone and that no one understands. And why is that a lie? Because of the promises that we just read. Because of the promises that we have just read, you are not alone. So refuse to believe the lie when you feel the lie, when you, when you speak it to yourself, because we tell, our lies all the, we tell ourselves lies all the time. Refuse to believe the lie that you are alone because you are not. God is with you. And you can sense his presence by pursuing him. Number two, refuse to act out on it the loneliness, that is. Refuse to act out on it. And I don't know what habits or what rhythms that you're in, but all of us have tendencies that are unhealthy. All of us have tendencies that are unhealthy, and often we're trying to mask pain that's in our life. And so if you can't identify those habits that you have, those tendencies that you have of pleasure, of self-pleasure, that you know are not right and pleasing to God, Refuse to act out on it. Number three is this. Refuse to deal with it alone. Refuse to deal with loneliness alone. Now from this, you can say, okay, what do I do? I mean, it's kind of awkward to walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm lonely. Can we talk? Right? And I don't recommend that for teenagers, right? <laughs> you know, you're wanting to date to me. Hey, I'm lonely. You want to talk? I mean, what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to, you know, act on this and say, okay, if I, if I don't act on this alone, how, how do I respond to this? Since I do feel alone, I do feel isolated. What do I do? And here's my encouragement. Based upon what I've shared earlier and some of the other points I've said, if we act on this alone, we turn more inward. And I would say this, a couple of things. Number one, 
tell someone. And you're not necessarily going to verbalize to say, hey, I'm I'm lonely, but you're going to verbalize how you feel. And and that can be to a spouse and something you haven't said to them in a while. That could be to a pastor. That could be to a friend. That could be to a family member. That could be, you know what? It's expensive right now. I don't have any money, but I really need a counselor. I need to talk to someone about this. Whatever this is for you. Could be the bad habit. Could be the emotions. Talked to someone just a few weeks ago that said, I'm having some really, really scary thoughts. And I knew what they were saying. They didn't want to verbalize it. You know what they were dealing with? Suicide. They couldn't verbalize it, and it took me a while to get them to verbalize it, but finally they got to us. I said, thank you for saying it out loud. You can't deal with this alone. You got to talk. It was an incredible conversation. They're getting help. They're getting help. You can't, you, you can't just scoot it under the rug, right? Loneliness, the how you feel, your emotions, you, you have to do something about it. Another thing that you can do is this fall, whenever we launch our life groups, sign up for one. We need relationships. We need a time for airplane mode, right? We need a time for for good, healthy conversation, for relationships. You have to be in relationship with other people. Can be a small group of ladies, can be a small group of guys, can be um, along with other couples, but we have to get into relationships with people and be honest. We cannot deal with this alone. Some of you, the last thing I would say is that some of you don't know how to verbalize how you're feeling, but you know that you feel isolated and you know that you feel alone. You can't even verbalize to someone how you feel, but you know something inside of you. You just need help. Call, call us this week. I mean, just as a church, as a minister, you may say, hey, I don't want to talk to you about it, but I need someone to talk to about this. Okay, great. We, we would love to do that as a church, as a ministry to help you. It can be with a bad habit. It can be with just an emotion. It can be with a life struggle. Just this week, I've had three incredible conversations, and I'm, I hang up the phone and go, I'm so glad they called, because they needed to. I'm so glad they called. And it's not always the same story. They're all different stories. It's not always that, that you feel like you're at the end of your rope. You know, sometimes they're small struggles, but they're real struggles. And we have to do something about it. And so, refuse to believe the lie, right? Refuse to act out on it. And those who are changing life habits and then refuse to deal with it alone. Let's pray. Father, we all have incredible struggles. And I know that we can all relate to the lonely feeling and how we feel inside of just not knowing what to do with how we feel. So God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, each of us, no matter Where we are, individual lives, our our stories are all different, our circumstances are all different, but I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to leave this place today to respond, be it to call someone, to call a pastor, to call a friend, to call a family member, even maybe just to sit down with a spouse and say, can we talk? But I know that requires courage. And even as Josiah prayed last night, um, as he prayed for me that I would be brave, I pray that prayer for every single person listening today, that you would give us courage and bravery to take a step to do something about our loneliness. Ultimately, God, I want to thank you and praise you for what you did for us on the cross, that you are the one that addresses loneliness by offering a relationship with you. And so thank you for what you did by dying on the cross, by rising again from the dead, by offering a relationship to anyone who would call upon your name. And so in those moments of loneliness, 
in those moments of struggle, would we remember Isaiah 41, 13 and Psalm 68, that you're a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows, that you are one who leads out the prisoners and gives hope to those that are hopeless. We believe these promises and we trust in them. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Stand with me. I want to say um, a brief word about our, what we're going to do next. We're going to sing a, our final song together. And this is the time where we give an offering to the Lord. And those that call Encounter Church home may want to give at this time. And if you're a guest with us, your gift to us can be to let us know that you're here by placing the connection card in the offering basket. Um, lastly, as you leave today, you may want to start that conversation at starting point to say, hey, can I hear more about life groups? Can I hear more about serving? You know, there are people here that serve um, once a month, twice a month, and they love it. You know why they love it? Not just serving with kids, but the relationship and the connection they're making with other people while serving. So some of you may say, hey, here's my step. I want to help out. I want to serve. Others of you just may say, hey, I want to talk to you this week about what I'm going through. We'd love to be able to do that. But let's, in this next song, we'll give our offering, place our um, connection cards in the basket, and then we'll wrap up, okay? Thanks for being here in Encounter Church. Let's sing together.